everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Man, we are so, so glad that you are with us. Bonjour tout le monde. Bon dimanche. We are so excited that next week, We're going to get to see many of you in person right here in this room. We cannot wait. Registration will be open today. You can go ahead and reserve a spot. And if you do that in advance, it'll kind of streamline the process when you get here next Sunday. And don't worry, for those of you who are not able to be here for whatever reason, you live here in the area, or those of you who are with us from around the world, we still live stream every Sunday. So we look forward to it. Can't Wait, and again, all the you know, procedures will be in place and so forth. So if you have any of those concerns, know that we are doing our absolute best to try to walk that, uh, that balance. And so uh, today we continue in this series that we started last week called Grace Works. Now, and what we addressed last week is the fact that, that many people, when they start to get into this book for the very first time, or maybe even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you start working your way through the Bible and trying to apply it to your life, and that, that many people find this challenging tension that exists that, that can be hard to understand, this tension between the Old Testament law and the New Testament's grace. And what you'll find is, as you go through the New Testament, not only did Jesus talk about it, but when it gets into the letters that were written to the New Testament churches, like it seems like just about every other page or every other chapter, some of the books, it seems like almost the whole book is trying to get them to understand how things have changed with the Old Testament foundation of Judaism, which was the law, and the New Testament era, the new covenant of grace that Jesus brings to us. And so last week we started with Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse uh, 14 says, or 17 says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we saw last week how Jesus fulfilled the law through his death and resurrection on the cross. And because of that, when we are in Christ, Romans 6, 14 says, for sin shall not be your master, no longer your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so we saw what the law is last week and why we are no longer under it. And if you missed that, I really want to encourage you not right now, but, but later, uh, to, uh, to go to our website, mw.church, or you can, uh, can look it up on our Facebook page, Moncton Wesleyan, or search YouTube uh, for Moncton Wesleyan, or our podcast. Listen, you go just basically anywhere and search Moncton Wesleyan, and you can f- probably find the teaching from last Sunday. And uh, I hope that you loved that as much as I did. I really think that that what we talked about last week, everybody needs to hear, especially Christians, to begin to unlock maybe one of the most important teachings when it comes to understanding 
not just who Jesus is and not just what he did, but why. But if you're like me, maybe you walked away with a question last week. Maybe you noticed something that the the New Testament kind of almost makes the old law look bad and oppressive. In fact, if, if, if you see the criticisms, you know, like some of the verses in the Bible that are kind of awkward and uncomfortable, very seldom are they from the New Testament. All the websites and the videos and, you know, all the stuff that circulates around the internet uh, to make the Bible look bad, you know, you've seen the videos, you've seen the websites. They're almost always pointing to the Old Testament. And so, if that's the case, then why did God give us that old law in the first place? And we're going to talk about that today and, and hopefully bring some clarity to the issue. But first of all, I want to touch on something before we get into that. This will be really quickly that a lot of people don't understand about the Old Testament law. It's not just one thing. It's actually multiple categories. There are really two major categories with four subcategories that the Old Testament laws fit into. The two major categories, you had ceremonial law and moral law, the ceremonial laws and the moral laws. And then you can break these down even further where under ceremonial law, you had ritual laws. Those had to do with like the keeping of the temple and the priests and the sacrifices. And then you had dietary and purification laws. Some of the purification and, and cleanliness laws had to do with, listen, in, in ancient societies, they didn't have the same kind of sanitation and practices that we did. And so God wants for his people uh, to, you know, he wants what's best for us. And so he gave them these laws to kind of set them apart for their own good and for their own health. And then there were the dietary laws, like, you know, Jewish kosher food laws. You can't eat like meat and milk together in, in their interpretation of it. And uh, so you can't have cheeseburgers in the old law. You can't have bacon or ham or watch out maritime folks in Eastern Canada, not even lobster. Oh, aren't you glad that Jesus set us free from the law and we are under grace. Hand me the lobster and a little bit of butter, right? And so, so those are the ceremonial laws. But what about the moral law? This is where it gets even more important. In the moral law, you had the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Remember the ten, thou shalt not. So you'll, the first one, the most important, you shall have no other gods before me. And so you have the Ten Commandments. And then under moral law, you also had civil and judicial laws. The ordering of government and law like judicial, the judicial system. Now, something that, that many people may not realize is even to this day, you know how we have different categories, like for example, when someone is killed, there is a difference when it's an accident, accidental manslaughter versus premeditated murder, right? Do you know where that difference comes from? 
It comes from God's Old Testament judicial laws. So much of the the ways that we think about government in our modern society and right and wrong and what's fair and what's not fair, so much of it comes from the Old Testament law. And so when you add up all of these categories together, what you end up with, with the ceremonial laws and the ritual laws and the dietary and the purification and the moral law and the Ten Commandments and the civil judicial laws, you end up with 613 laws in the Old Testament that no one would ever be able to fulfill perfectly. Except for one, right? Who is the one perfect one. Jesus fulfilled the law for us in his perfection. And then he died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, all the ways that we fall short of God's perfection. And so listen, here's what happens. Here's how grace works. When we receive Jesus, when we confess our sins and surrender to him, when we receive the gift of what he has done for us, when we come to Jesus, we are no longer under the law. The law is no longer over us. It is now in us. When we are in Jesus, the law is no longer over us. It is in us. Look at what Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus that, that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. And then look at what it says in verse 10. This is the new covenant. I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, after the Old Testament, as we move into the New Testament. God says, this new covenant I will establish at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws, they'll no longer be under them, I will put my laws where? In their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so in the Old Testament, the only way that Jews had to relate to God was through the law. That's the only way they had to relate to God until all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And when the Son of God shows up, everything changes. And it was confusing for them. Because how do you move from from an entire lifetime of, of, of connecting with God, of relating to God through the law for countless generations, and then all of a sudden, Jesus ushers in a new covenant. And so look at what Jesus says. Let's go back to Matthew 5, verse 17 again. And then we already read that, but then we're going to keep going and see what else he says after that. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. It's forever until 
Everything is accomplished. Who accomplished it? Jesus did through his death on the cross. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments. Now notice that Jesus didn't focus on like the the ritual and dietary stuff. And he did not focus on all the civil and judicial stuff. What did Jesus focus on? The commandments, the 10 commandments. And I I hope you're going to be part of your small group this week. Because in our small group guides this week, we're actually going to get into the 10 commandments and how they apply to our lives today. So Jesus kind of elevates the commandments. And he says, let's read it again from the top, verse 19. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, let's highlight that part, look look down at that. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. We're going to talk about that. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so listen, grace doesn't mean that we just go out after Jesus forgives us, that we just go out and live like the rest of the world. It doesn't mean that we just go out and do whatever we want and, and, and revel in our sin and our disobedience to God. Listen, even if we are no longer bound to some of the law, even if we're not bound to the, the ritual law and the ceremonial law and the, the, the dietary laws, thank the Lord, we can eat baker, bacon and lobster. And, but Jesus said, You still need to keep the commandments. You still need to live a moral life. You still need to be righteous like Jesus. But here's the difference. I want you to notice this. Here's the difference. Oh, no, let's keep back. We're we're still in this. Let's go back to the scripture real quick. Here's the difference. The difference is in how we define this word righteousness. Okay, so now let's let's go ahead and, and look at this. The Pharisees defined righteousness by your reputation. But Jesus defined it by your motivation. You see, the Pharisees were all about appearances, how everything looks. They they were kind of like the original Instagram and TikTok influencers, right? They were all about putting on a show, getting the likes, getting people to click and share and, and, and talk about how cool they are and, and how righteous they are. They were about appearances and what people think of them. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Righteousness is not about what other people think of you. It's about the purity of your heart. There's this amazing story in the New Testament with Jesus where a woman has been caught in the act of adultery by some of the religious leaders. And, and, and as we get into this story, let, let me highlight something about what the, what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. The love of Jesus is the full balance of grace 
and truth. And so these religious leaders, they they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they, they push her out in front of the crowd and they say, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her, which was a form of of punishment. They would pick up rocks and they would throw rocks at someone until they died. And and, And notice that Jesus does not contradict the law. But what Jesus always does is he points to the higher law, right? Jesus says, not only should you not kill, in, in the New Testament, Jesus says, you shouldn't even call someone a fool and assault them with your words, which is the horrible thing that people do today online, right? Is, is people take it lightly and assault people with their words. Jesus said, in some ways, that's just as bad as killing someone. Jesus says it's, it's more than just the law, which says not to commit adultery. Jesus says you shouldn't even look at that person with, with lust in your eyes, that it's the same as adultery. And so what Jesus would do is he didn't cancel out the law. He fulfilled it and pointed to a higher law, the principle of the law. And so the law says she deserves death. What should we do with her? And here's how Jesus responded. He looked at this crowd and this poor woman and he said, okay, so what you say is true. Now, whoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone. And of course, no one could claim to be without sin. And so everybody dropped their rocks and turned around and ashamed of themselves, went back home. And so Jesus, as they're left standing there alone, this man, or Jesus and this woman, And he asks her a question. He says, so who is left to condemn you? And she said, well, they've all gone. There's no one. And Jesus said, and neither do I condemn you. And I want you to catch this. Don't miss it. Grace and truth. And so Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. And then listen. And he said then, now go and sin no more. That's truth. He he, he said, I forgive you. That's grace. But he said, you need to stop doing what you've been doing in your life because it's not good for you. God wants better for you. That's truth. We live in a world that is all about grace, but doesn't want to hear the truth that God wants to change our lives for his glory. And so let's look today really quickly at three, uh, three purposes of the Old Testament law. These are, are come to us from Robert Morris. Uh, just real quickly. Number one, the law is a guide. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Let's, let's look at it. Galatians 3.24 says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now, this is the New International Version, which is what I generally use in these teachings. But I think some other translations do a better job at this or maybe give us a different picture. For example, the King James, 
Wherefore the law was your schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Or the message says, the law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they set out for. See, in their culture, uh, you would have a, a guardian who would take the child to school, take them to the teacher. Their job was not to be the rabbi, it was to get you to the rabbi. In other words, get this, the law's purpose is to guide you to the rabbi. Who is who? Jesus. The law's purpose is to guide you to Jesus. When I was in high school, uh, I had a, a teacher in mathematics. Math, did they still call it mathematics? I don't know. That's kind of old-fashioned. In math. And, uh, and so we did not really get along too well. In fact, I don't think she got along with anybody too well. She was kind of mean. Uh, and <laughs> she, I, you know, math's not my worst subject. Like, I'm, I'm okay, I, but I'm not crazy about it. Like, it doesn't just come naturally to me. And she sure did not help. And what's funny, you cannot make this up, is her name. Her name was Mrs. Hale, H-A-L-E. But of course, uh, she pronounced it with a Southern accent because I, I went to high school in Virginia in the United States. And, uh, and she pronounced it Mrs. Hale. And so, uh, so I had lunch before her class. And so at lunch, I would always say, oh man, after lunch, it's time for me to go straight to Hale. I, I didn't say that. The other kids did, right? <laughs> Mrs. Hale's class. But see, after that class, I got to go down the hall to Mrs. Williams' class. She taught history and social studies. And I liked history, as you can tell. And, and, and she, you know what? What made her class so wonderful is unlike Mrs. Hale, who who didn't think that I was very smart, Mrs. Williams thought I was brilliant, and I agreed with her. Uh, she, she believed in me. She helped me to believe in myself. And so whenever I got to walk out of Mrs. Hale's class and go down the hallway to Mrs. Williams' class, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like moving out from under the law and into the grace and love, the, the care of Jesus, the rabbi who cares for you. And we learned last week that the law's job is not to encourage you. The law's job is not to bless you. The law's job is to show you all the ways that you fall short of God's perfect standard. But the law also points you to Jesus, who alone can transform you and set you free. The rabbi who cares for you. And so number two, the law is a mirror. It shows us what's going on in our hearts. James 1 verse 23 through 25 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law through Jesus that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You see, so often people get the wrong idea about the Bible and think that it's just a, you know, about all the stuff that God is against. But the primary purpose of this book is not just to show you what God is against. It's to show you what he is for. That, that God wants the best for you. He wants for you to be able to, to follow his path so that you can be blessed in what you do. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments, right? Jesus elevated the, the commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, let me ask you, is Jesus or is 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 God for or against adultery? By the way, this has not changed. The answer is easy, right? God is against it. But why? Because adultery hurts people. And God is for people. So he's against adultery. Is God for or against stealing? He's against it. Why? Because it hurts people. And God is for People. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul said, Indeed, I would not have known what sin was, what those things were that would hurt me, except for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, Do not covet. Which, by the way, to covet means when you are jealous of what other people have, when you wish that you could have their life instead of your life. The law is a mirror. It shows us these problems in our heart. The world says many of these things are okay, but God gives us this guidance so that we know what his better plan really is to show us what's in our hearts. And then number three, the law is a map. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Now, let, let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of a map? Do you love and, and cherish a map? Do you adore and worship a map? Now, if you're lost in the wilderness, a map is a good thing to have, right? But the map is not what makes you happy. The map is simply designed points you to the, to the person or to the place where you need to be. And Jesus said the problem with the Pharisees is that they had fallen in love with the map, failing to realize that its purpose is actually to lead you to God, who alone can transform your life and give you the meaning of what all of this is about. Uh, Pastor Clark Witten talks about when he was in seminary and he had an ethics class. And so the ethics professor, after a lecture and after they had studied chapter one of a book, he, he threw a, a, a pop quiz, kind of a test. And so at the end of the test, he said, here's what I want you to do. 
He said, I want you to get your pen out, get your test out, and I'm gonna call out the answers and you mark which ones you got right and which ones you got wrong. You're going to grade your own test. And so Clark thought, oh, oh, I know what this is about. Oh, I know this, this, is, this is a test, right? That, that what he's gonna do is he's gonna call out the answers and he, he knows that some of us are going to, you know, kind of like not be as hard on ourselves and, and, and try to give ourselves a better score. And, and so, so what I'm gonna do, he said, is, is instead of him using this as a lesson to teach us about ethics in this class, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna be really, really hard on myself. I'm gonna just mark everything just as perfectly as possible. And so the, the professor calls out the answers and he just marks every little thing that could possibly be wrong, every jot and tittle, really, really hard on himself. And he gets to the, to the end and, and, uh, and the, the professor says, okay, go ahead and write your, your score on there. And so he writes his grade in big numbers at the top of the test. And then the professor says to the class, okay, you can go ahead and put that away. Now let's go to chapter two in our books. And everybody kind of looks around and, and is like, well, what are we going to do with our tests? Don't we turn these in? And, and, and the professor said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't care what you do with it. He said, let's get into chapter two. And, and so all the students are wondering, well, how, how are we going to know you know, how are you going to know how we're doing in the class, professor, if, if you don't see our grades? And the professor said, listen, here's what you need to understand. This test, as with all tests in life, is not to show me how well you are doing. It's to show you how well you are doing. And that's what we need to understand. Listen, the law is a test, but it's not to show God how well you're doing. It's not to show other people how well you're doing. It doesn't matter what they think. It's to show you how well you're doing. How far you have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And here's, here's the news, if you didn't realize it. You have already failed the test. James chapter two, verse 10 says, whoever keeps the whole law, even if you got everything right and yet stumbles at just one point, just one failure is guilty of breaking all of it. In other words, there are 613 questions. And if you miss just one, you fail the entire test. And, and by the way, in case you didn't realize it, you've already been taking this test. It started on the day that you were born. And just so you know, you've already failed. You've already failed the test. But see, here's the good news. Oh, this is the good news that we call the gospel. Listen, the law is a test. If you'll receive Jesus, you confess your sins and believe in him. The law is a test that God does not grade for believers. Listen, that's what we call grace. That is how grace works. 
Jesus, listen, Jesus takes the test. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. He scored the perfect score. And then he died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And if you will receive him, if you'll confess your sin, admit that you have failed, and give him your life, Jesus wants to take your test and on the top of it, write the word forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. That is how grace works. And so our heavenly father, we thank you today that this story of grace is a story of your great love. How you have loved us and made the way for us. We in our imperfection, we in our failures, we in our sin who are worthy of death for the punishment of sin is death. Thank you that Jesus has made the way. Thank you that we are no longer under that law, but that we can come under grace. And so right now, anyone who is with us, who has never made that decision, if God is speaking to your heart, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, you can feel God is speaking to you. He's calling out your name. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you this, this new beginning today. Would you in your heart right now just say, Lord, I confess. I confess that I've been trying to do it on my own. But today I receive your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take my punishment and I receive his forgiveness. And I commit to follow you to, to try to live by your word, empowered by your spirit every day for the rest of my life. Oh, and we celebrate together in the name of Jesus with anybody who's made that decision right now. And in just a little bit, I'm gonna come back and after we've spent some time in worship, giving gratitude to God, I'm gonna come back and we're going to to, to give you some next steps if you made a, a decision to follow Jesus today. But before we do, I also want to pray for the rest of us. Maybe those of us who are already following Jesus. And maybe God's been speaking to us about something today. And so could we just pray together? Heavenly Father, Lord, what stands out to me in this teaching today and the scriptures that we've looked at is your call for us to live holy and righteous like Jesus. Lord, one of the things that breaks my heart and I know it breaks yours is, is how many people who, who claim to be Christians and yet have very little concern to live a life of holiness like Jesus. And so Lord, if there's anything in us that needs to be dealt with would you just reveal it to us right now? 
Is it a sin? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a habit. A behavior. Some pattern in your life that you know God has been speaking to you about it. Listen. The path to freedom is not shame. The path to freedom is confession. Would you confess right now in your heart, confess and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've held this back from you. I confess, I receive your forgiveness right now. Wash me clean. Not because, not because I want to live holy as some way of earning your blessing, Lord, or, or of, of seeking your approval because I know that you have already forgiven me and received me in this relationship with you. But Lord, because you love me, because you want the best for me, I want to live a life that's holy. Lord, we want to live lives that are like Jesus where we're guided by your word, where it, it serves as a mirror to show us what needs to change inside of us, where we walk with it as a map, a, a light unto our feet, a light for our path to give us the guidance that we need to live lives that are honorable to you, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. And we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.